I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. Billy Bustamante is a New York City-based performer, director, choreographer, and photographer. He has appeared on Broadway in Miss Saigon and The King and I, and his various New York City and regional credits include Soft Power and Here Lies Love at the Public Theatre, and productions at the Amundsen, Arena Stage, Old Globe, and the Paper Mill Playhouse. He is co-founder of Broadway Barcada, a Filipino cultural organization that aims to nurture and support Filipino artists and bring their experience to a diverse audience. He is also on the faculty at Jen Waldman Studio, and he runs a successful photography business, Billy B. Photography. Hi, Billy. Hi, Stefan. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm so good. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to, that you are here, and I'm so glad that you said yes to, to this uh, podcast. And we are trying to talk to leading contemporary figures in American theater and people who are doing um, you know, work in theater right now, and I thought of you. I'm so glad. I'm so jazzed. <laughs> well, good. Well, I'm glad that you are, and I, I'm really happy to have you here. And so, you know, uh, before we dive into all the amazing things that you're working on, you know, I see that you've been doing this now for, you know, over 20 years, and you're still young. <laughs> Which is, well, <laughs> <laughs> you look great. You look great. <laughs> I'm jealous. Um, so, but no, but I mean, I think, you know, the, the, you've been doing a lot of different things, which I think is really fascinating. And from performer to director, choreographer, and you have a photography business and you also teach. So we're going to dive into all those little um, different areas of, of all the work that you do. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, I like to start asking, how are you doing? Okay. In these tough times? I am. Uh, thanks for asking. I think in the grand scheme of things, uh, I am doing uh, quite well. Um, it's funny, I actually caught the virus right at the beginning. Oh, wow. Uh, everything like went down. Like, so in early March, I was pretty, uh, I was in pretty bad shape. Um, but I feel great now, fully healed. I got all the tests done. My antibodies are strong. Oh, <laughs> um, so I feel good. Life is fine. I'm, I'm here with my husband and uh, puppy in Brooklyn. And we're just hunkering down, try to, you know, stay productive and stay positive. Of course. So you feel like you've gone through the worst of it then, right? And you're on the other yeah. side. Yes, thank goodness. Wow. Well, I'm I'm sa sorry that you got sick, but I'm happy that you're better and that you've um, gotten over it because I think, like you said, that makes you a strong, stronger uh, for the next whatever we all are dealing with here. So, um, and I know New York City's got a lot going on now and the whole country has a lot going on. So this is a tough time, but... Uh, and, I, and I'm sure, you know, um, this time of quarantine for all of us has been difficult, but also some good things have come of it. So I'm hoping um, yeah. that those will come too. So I just want, I always like to ask that because, you know, especially people who are uh, near New York City, which has, you know, really been the epicenter of a lot of the the, the suffering and, and the, the issues going on. So so tell talk to us a little bit about your journey from dc because that's where i know you from from the dc area and when we were yeah. both we were both just mere children uh <laughs> um, about it. you were you're younger than i am so you were much more of a child but so from your time in dc and your your you know going you went to school in dc right 
That's right. I went to school uh, in D.C. for a year, and then I finished up my undergrad um, elsewhere. But yeah, it's um, it's funny. I I did my first professional show with you. Oh, yeah, was... at the Olney Theater. That was my first professional show ever. West Side Story um, at Olney Theater Center. Yes, in in we won't say what year. I know what year, but I'm not telling anyone. But anyway, go ahead. Me too. Our lips are sealed. <laughs> That's right. It's been a while. No dates. No years. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, that was funny. That's when I was um, when I was doing that show with you. I was at my first year um, studying musical theater at Catholic University, mm-hmm. and then um, you know financial situations happened, and you know I ended up not being able to afford to go back to school. So mm-hmm. I took a year off and kind of did some more professional theater um, around town in DC, and then re auditioned for other programs outside of the city. Um, so I ended up finishing up my schooling at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, wonderful school. You know, yes. I, I feel like I, I'm grateful for both portions of my training. Like, I learned a lot at Catholic, learned a lot with my gap year. I learned mm-hmm. a whole lot with my gap year, and then learned a lot at the University of the Arts. And, um, yeah, I guess, like, Reader's Digest version from there, I, I stuck around Philly, I uh, got my equity card my senior year of, of college. I uh, was a theater artist in Philadelphia, making my way around the theater scene there, and then moved to New York. Um, I've been in New York now for over a decade. <laughs> I'll so, round, I'll so, down there. So you're, um, you're officially a New Yorker, they say. It's after 10 I, years. That's the Yes, I am officially a New Yorker. Congratulations. Um, and yeah, you know, ever since I moved to New York, it's been a mix of performing in regional theaters, off-Broadway. I was lucky enough to do a couple of Broadway shows. Um, uh, directing and choreography and producing has always been a, a big interest of mine. So it's been great to be in a city like New York and Philadelphia, D.C., honestly, too, where I can kind of flex all my artistic muscles. You know, I can perform sometimes, direct other times, help others. I teach now, too, and the photography's been great. So it's, it's all three are great cities to be a multi-hyphenate. Right, and and you definitely are that, and I I've noticed, and so did that develop over time. So I think most of us, you know, when we're in, interested in theater, we we a lot of us come to it as performers when we're young. You know, we like the stage, we like to be on stage, and we like to sing and dance in musicals, if that's the case, or act. Um, so I assume you started that way, and then you moved towards the directing choreography. Usually that comes later. How how was your path? How did you transition from performer to to doing all these other things that you do? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I feel like when I was young and in the process of that evolution, I knew that um, performing wasn't the goal. I knew performing was my way in mm-hmm. um, to the street, but I, I always knew that performing, like I didn't want to spend my life just performing. Um, and I felt, I felt that for two reasons. I felt, A, you know, I like... I was interested by so many other parts of the industry. Um, but B, I knew that um, because of how I looked, my performing opportunities would always be limited. So there would, it was an unrealistic goal for me to think that I, would, I could make my life only performing, knowing the opportunities that were available to someone like me. Um, so it actually kind of lit a fire under me to kind of see how else I could be useful in the industry. Uh, in, uh, in addition to performing, that's a really that's a really um, mature approach for someone as they're starting in the industry. Because I do think a lot of young people in their twenties are thinking, oh, "I just want to be a star on Broadway," you know, and that's kind of their view. 
And for you to think because of your ethnicity, because that you're not, you know, Caucasian, that you had to to think differently and bigger and broader. I thought that, you know, you're, you're almost sounds like you have a community aspect to the way you think of theater. I think you're right. You know, it's funny, like I could I could experience I could notice those ideas forming as when I was that age, but I couldn't name them in the way that I can now. You know, thank, thank goodness I had some really great mentors and teachers um, many of color who um, could fill in those blanks for me. So um, I really owe a great debt to them because I feel um, because of those restrictions that I, not restrictions, but because I could see the challenges and the roadblocks, it actually led me to find more freedom in the industry. Mm. And you're Filipino, right? That's part of your background. That is correct. And so Filipino is an interesting culture. I have a lot of uh, colleagues that I work with in my day job that are from the Philippines. And um, it's that mixture of Spanish and Asian, right? There's a mix of the Spanish culture with the Asian culture. That to me is so unique and it's so different than what Americans think of when they think of, you know, that the stereotypical quote unquote Asian. Do you ever feel like you didn't fit in any category? Um, it was it was tough. I mean, the short answer is yes, but you know, like the longer answer is, I also felt like a part of so many other communities. You know, it's funny. Like I was an Asian person that got to do West Side more many times. I was an right. Asian person that got to do King and I, or like you know. And aside from the industry, I do feel there is a part of the Filipino culture that mm-hmm. is community and family driven. Yes. So I think I was raised in a way where like, if you, if I shared a meal with you, we were family. <laughs> right. Um, Food. Yes. I love, <laughs> I, I like, um, I, I, I love Filipino food too. It's one of my, um, my, um, whenever I get my colleagues at work to, to make some food, lumpia is my favorite, but, but so that talk, talk more about that. So that's interesting. So I know that like, for example, on Broadway, you were in Miss Saigon and the King and I, which are not shows that have anything to do really right with the Philippines, but, but because you are, what American casting directors, I guess, would think Asian American, right? You're, you're put in that category. So those opportunities were made available. And so you got to see a broader, perhaps, um, scope. I was, I wonder if you ever talked to Bayork Lee. Do you know her? I do actually know Bayork quite well. It's, um, she's great. She's always been someone I looked up to as I grew up, but, um, over the past maybe five or six years, um, I've been able to work really closely with her on her theater company. She uh, she runs National Asian Artist Project. Yes, um, great to um, dive in with her because I feel like she's absolutely you know striving to say to make the same changes that yes. I'm interested in. For those listening and don't know who Bayork Lee is, you should know who she is. Haha. No, but if you don't know who she is, she was uh, the original Connie. Uh, in a chorus line, and uh, the role was based on her. She before that she was a dancer on Broadway, uh, you know, one of the Gypsies, and worked very closely with Michael Bennett, the famous director choreographer. And she has been a very, very prominent uh, Asian American uh, sh- uh, performer for for years on Broadway. So I'm so glad you got to to work with her because I think she kind of got stuck a little bit in that, you know, the King and I kind of um, you know area too. And she she did more, much more than that. Absolutely. She's really, an, she's an amazing woman and um, she's been so great to like future generations. Um, 
uh, it's you know we all owe something to Bayo. Like it's funny, like I say, all Filipinos owe Lea Salanga something. <laughs> right. Also, <laughs> yes. Honest, at Absolutely. least owe Lea Salanga a little bit of something. But yes. I feel like any uh, so many people of color uh, have an, have a fraction of an easier time because of people like Bayork. Right. Who broke down those walls originally and had to deal with the real you know tough stuff in the very beginning. But you know it's it's yeah. st- it's still around. So talk to me about your Broadway experience. So um, you went from. Uh, Philadelphia to New York. How did that transition? Did you do some regional work first, which I think is 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 a great idea. If that you know, and then you moved to New York, or, or how was that transition? Yeah. Um, so I guess when I, I I basically two years between finishing college and moving up to New York City, and those two years were I called working out of New York City. I, I lived sure. in Philly. I was doing regional shows, equity contracts. Um, with the various um, theaters in Philadelphia um, and was literally up in New York City auditioning for something once a week. Um, so in that way, I felt very much a part of the New York industry, but with a Philadelphia address. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. sure. once, I, once I knew that needed to change, basically the first, gosh, seven, eight years of my New York City life as, an, as a theater artist um, was me auditioning, booking a regional show outside of New York City, taking a few months, doing that, coming back, developing like a new musical in New York, or getting to do something really small and tiny in New York, um, flexing my director muscles in a small way in New York, and then going back out to do something else regionally. Um, so in that way, it was it was a great way to, to, to grow. Um, I didn't land my first like long-term New York City show until uh, Here Lies Love, uh, which was a new off-Broadway musical at the Public Theater. Yes, I want to talk about, tell me more about Here Lies yeah. Love, because first of all, I love the score. I never got to see the show, but I am so fascinated by the score. Uh, so talk about Here Lies Love. Uh, oh, okay. I can talk that about experience? Here Lies Love all day. But I'll, I'll stop you at some point, but let's. I want to hear a little, give us a little tidbit about the Here Lies Love experience, because what an amazing experience. Uh, tell me about it. So for people who don't know it, Here Lies Love is the musical written by David Byrne. From uh, Talking Heads. That's right. Uh, co-produced uh, you know, with uh, beats by DJ Fatboy Slim, directed and co-conceived by Alex Timbers, who is one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest theatrical minds of our generation. Mm. Um, and it was done at the Public Theater. And A, the, the collection, the pedigree behind the show is recent enough to be obsessed with it. Um, the thing that makes me such a, so proud to be a part of it was that it was a show about and for Filipinos. So what um, is what is the show about for those who don't know what the show is about? Yeah, it's um, it's basically an immersive disco musical <laughs> based on the life, like the rise and fall of Imelda Marcos, who was uh, one of the most prominent first ladies of the Philippines. Yes. Um, she was a very controversial figure. Mm-hmm. Um, so. We, um, how can I say it? We examine her life in the way um, that a 1970s disco musical would. <laughs> it's so, so good. And to me, it's like, it takes the whole, it's this, I think the idea and the concept around it is similar to Andrew Lloyd Webber's Evita, 
right? Yes. But and it must be for you what it is for me to, to watch and see Evita because my mother is from Uruguay right across the river from Argentina and my great-grandparents were from Argentina and my grandmother saw Eva Perón, you know, saw Eva Perón and saw Magaldi. So when I see that musical, it's sort of a biographical musical about a, a very famous woman from my mother's part of the, the world. So for you, Here Lies Love must have that same emotional appeal. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's funny. I, it's something I couldn't, I didn't really know I, I needed <laughs> uh, before the show existed. You know, I, I, I was quite successful, thank, you know, thankfully, as, as a theater artist up until that point. Like, I was working pretty consistently. Yeah. And then I realized, maybe except for once, every, every time I stepped on a stage, I was playing a kind of Asian that was not Filipino. Um, I was able to do one other Filipino show, which was also a, a very uh, important experience. But um, it wasn't until Here Lies Love where there was a truly like groundbreaking uh, art form uh, bending um, and financially successful yes. portrayal of the Filipino th experience in theater. And um, it, it made it such an important, um, empowering project to be a part of. And you... And it and you got to leave, you leave your stamp in a way because that is a show that will forever be part of theater history to me. I hope so. I think it should be. <laughs> I, and I, so. I think it'll definitely be for, you know, to this day, I think it'll be the, the most important performing experience of my career. Has it ever been done outside of Off-Broadway? Have there been regional productions now? Like there's the, on the West Coast, is East-West Players. Have they done it? Because yeah. I... I, I, I have not. Mm. You know, it's it's funny. Like you know, there was a. You should direct it and choreograph you know, it. Fingers crossed. Let's put that out there. That's definitely. Um, there's there was a company, a Seattle rep, did a production a couple of years ago. Um, you know, for the people who don't know, Here Lies Love was an immersive musical. So essentially, mm -hmm. they took one of this like rectangular spaces and made a disco out of it. Amazing. And instead of the traditional proscenium theater setting, they had the audience standing in the space with everyone and then there were little platforms that moved around as the audience moved wow. um that that theatricalized the action and it, it made it feel like you were in a theater event and a disco event so um it was a it was an amazing thing obviously though hard to transfer to broadway which was always the next question oh um, right you know, so was there a talk about a broadway pro uh production and then because of the uniqueness of the setup i mean they did natasha pierre and, and, right. and the comet of whatever I can never say the whole title, but the, the <laughs> eighteen twelve I think. But um, but the the so was there thought this was prior to that right? I'm trying to get my dates right. The Here yeah, Lies no, Love was before. Just prior. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was there was an ongoing um, like discussion about the how, not the when, but how we mm -hmm. would get to Broadway. Mm -hmm. um, but um, as much as the interest was there, um, so much of the money was there, the real estate was always the thing. Sure. Um, so what they, when they took the, product, the production to Seattle Rep, the goal was to see how they could retrofit a conventional theater space to mm. let Here Lies Love fit within it. Um, so that, they did that quite successfully. Um, okay. um, so I, I think that was the version that they would like to see come to Broadway, right. obviously. The industry is what it is, the business, real estate. So, like, as obviously it never quite panned out, but I think it's always on the uh, on the minds of people involved, like even um, Alex and Deep David. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like it's it's always the show that 
sticks with people. <laughs> so oh, right. hopefully one day it'll see the light of day. It was the one that I was excited to see on, uh, on your resume and that I was like, oh my gosh, I want to talk about that. So it definitely appeals to people. And I wonder if Arena Stage has thought about doing it here in D.C. because it would be a good oh, thing for them. So good. It would be so good at Arena Stage. You need to talk to Molly Smith. we got to get that happening because I think you should do it oh, here. Yes. here. I'm going to put all these things out there. This is what I do during this uh, these pandemic times. I put positivity and ideas of things that can connect us all out there. Maybe a multimedia version of Here Lies Love that you can do even from home so you don't have to. <laughs> but um, so good ideas, I try. This is what happens when I'm stuck at home, you know. So but so tell me. So Here Lies Love. And then to connect with that, I know you've done a lot of different things throughout uh, in your regional uh, work, but I wanted to talk since we're talking about the Philippines and the Filipino culture a little bit here. I wanted to talk about something that you co-founded uh, called Broadway Barcada. What is Broadway Barcada? Yeah, so uh, Broadway Barcada is a collective, essentially an organization that gathers all Filipino theater artists. It, uh, originally in New York City, but we've at, we've successfully branched out into other markets now but it's a way for all of us who are filipinos in the theater to connect and mm. gather and um make some art that hopefully like has a philanthropic arm to it as well you know essentially the first couple of years of broadway barcada's existence came about because there were all these typhoons happening in the philippines when um i was doing a show called imelda the musical not here lies love <laughs> but like a different day. Five years before, there was a small off-Broadway musical called Imelda the Musical about Imelda Marcos, mm -hmm. 12 Filipinos in the cast. And that was the origin of Broadway Barcada. We, we were in, actually in tech when all the uh, typhoons hit the Philippines, so we had no time to actually do much about, like, help in any way. But once the show closed, we were able, you know, we all still wanted to come, to, uh, come together and do something good. So we did a benefit for the typhoon victims in the Philippines, and then we just kept doing them. <laughs> and more Filipinos came out of the woodwork and wanted to be a part of these these uh, mm. events. And um, what started off as twelve Filipinos now is almost, I think, almost two hundred uh, Filipino theater artists across the country. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Um, and it is a large. The Filipino community is quite large. I don't know how large it is in theater, but um, you know better than I do. But tell me about the word barcada. Does it have a special meaning? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a kind of Filipino slang for, like, group of friends or a gang. <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. So, um, it's, it's funny, like, when we, the joke is, <laughs> when we formed Broadway Barcada, none of the founding members had, had actually been on Broadway yet. But as far as Filipino oh. culture at large, like, if you're a theater artist, oh, you're on, you do Broadway. <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of the joke. But um, right. now, like, uh, a good number of us have gotten to uh, make our debuts, which is another really exciting ah, thing. That is such a good... Now, do you think Do you think that it was... I mean, a lot of people credit sort of the opening up a bit of casting and, and multi-ethnic casting to Hamilton. They use that sort of as a, as a marker. Do you think that it was Hamilton or do you think that it's been sort of happening over little by little in small strides here and there? Or what do you think it's coming from? Yeah, that's such a good question because I really think Hamilton was not necessarily the, the not the first example of this, but I think the the big transition moment mm -hmm. between two different kinds 
of, I guess, what people would want to say, like non-traditional casting. Mm-hmm. I feel before Hamilton, there was the age, and this is the age that I grew up in, yes. of colorblind casting. Yes. You know, uh, you have people like Cameron McIntosh having Leia Salonga, an Asian woman, play Epony um, mm-hmm. in Les Mis. You had yes. like black fontines, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like there was the, the philosophy, the working philosophy behind colorblind casting, mm-hmm. which was, it doesn't matter what you look like, if you're talented, if you can do the role, you should play the role. Um, and I thought that was, a, you know, I still continue to think that was a very important step for the industry to take. Um, yes. It's funny, as people, as the industry evolved, I felt Hamilton was the first big successful um, example of what I have now come to call color conscious casting. Um, an evolution from colorblind into color conscious, where it's not just um, what you look like doesn't matter, but acknowledging that what you look like does matter and the identity that that, that informs does matter. And it's important for um, people in power to make sure that we create a space for those stories to be told or for stories to be told with your lens on it. Wow. Because that lens makes it unique and makes it worthy. Um, so I've, I've become a really big advocate for color conscious casting. You know, um, even for shows, you know, it's funny, like I'm directing a, a production of Joseph, uh, mm-hmm. ne- now pushed for next season. Sure. Um, but it makes it very important not to do, not to cast it colorblind, but cast it with a color conscious lens. Because the ethnicity of the person, the, the race of the person you put in that Joseph coat says something. So I want to make sure that that production stands behind the statement that we're making with who we're having play the leads of that show. And that's where the conscious part comes in. You're making a conscious decision. That's why you're calling it color conscious versus color blind, which does imply sort of, I didn't pay attention. I'm just going for the talent, right? So you're making an actual statement. That's great. That's a great way to, to describe it. And, you know, I recently directed a production of Anything Goes, and there's that terrible challenge right for any director if you know the show of the 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 two the two supposed chinese um you know convicts that are on the boat and it's part of the comedy and so the first thing i did when i got the script and was terrified was i called a a good friend of mine you and chung who's in la who's a chinese american actor and i said okay what do i do here and he was so laid back about it it was so great to be able to talk to a friend you know as i was terrified to direct this i didn't you know i thought it was racist and i did all these things that he you know and i talked about and i I changed the script so whenever the 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 convicts were speaking something that was that made up fake Chinese language um, I actually had a, a Chinese colleague of mine at my day job give me lines in Chinese so the actors learned to speak phonetically Chinese that would be jokes making fun of the white gangster character so if you spoke Chinese and you sat in the audience you were laughing at the jokes nobody else would get right because they didn't speak Chinese I love that I just didn't want to make the and then but then I had the trouble you know as the director who do I cast in these parts and I had to look you know and I did have a funny enough a Filipino uh American actor who who was willing to play the part but then what I did was I also made him a sailor in the scenes when he wasn't so he played several and he was in Blow Gabriel Blow as a as a guest and so I just gave him he did multiple parts and he really appreciated that and enjoyed that. And that was my way of sort of trying to solve it. But it's hard. Some of those older scripts, it's really hard. You have to really yeah. think conscious, as you're saying, Lee, about what you're doing casting-wise. 
Yeah, that's so great to hear you talk about, you know, your journey with that, because I, I do feel it's it's something we're all on the learning curve with now, you know. Yeah. Um, I've done I've done those one of, I've done one of those brothers and anything goes. I've done the brothers and Millie several times. I was going to say yes. Do you get you know, do you, that feel like you know really speak to the Asian experience like Saigon and King and I like sure. there's there's so much there's so many blind spots yeah. um, that just come with the evolution of time. Like we know more now than we did then. Yes, different things are okay now than they were then. Um, so it, it's a challenge to kind of make these these pieces hold up but i think it's an exciting challenge right i think that's what makes it interesting to do the classics is how do you do you make them uh work for for our time now and i think involving people from that cultural so if you're doing south pacific or you're doing evita or whatever show that may have cultural references to just ignore it it feels to me at least a little bit irresponsible so you have to do your best you know to to try to honor it and that's the challenge so how, so you have this Broadway Barcada, which is this cultural organization for Filipinos that supports them as artists and also brings their experience, which I think is fantastic. Do you guys do your own shows or do you, do you write a new material or do you reinterpret existing material? How do you go about putting together performances or is it well, not the, about uh, that? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. It, we're, we're definitely performer based. So um, uh, a lot of the events that we do were centered around concerts, benefits, um, events that kind of like brought the community together. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we actually just now, I guess over the next, over the past two years, um, have started to venture into bringing, you know, uplifting Filipino uh, writers, Filipino theater writers and composers. Because mm-hmm. um, I think we're finally now in a position where we have um, more resources, more connections, more of a network and support system where we can find a new writer and uplift them as well. Um, so it's a, it's a new adventure for us, but it's something we're very excited about. That's great because, you know, we need as many voices, I think, in, in, in these times that we can get in the theater because I think that's what makes the theater so exciting, at least for me. And whether it's musicals or plays, it's, it's hearing something new and learning as an audience member. I want to venture to a place that maybe I haven't been to or to understand or try to understand a culture that I, I, I'm not familiar with that's what makes it interesting i don't want to i don't want to see anything about me (laughs) i'm the opposite i think white people i think a lot of white people you know because i'm half latino but you know i'm white for on the outside you know and i pass so to speak but but we you know we get kind of tired of our own we want to at least for me i want to know more about other cultures that's what's interesting to me and that's why i think i'm so fascinated by here lies love and i think my latin roots and that music and, and the, the everything about it is just so, um, it's my kind of musical. So I'm hoping to see it uh, done more. So so the Broadway Barcada is one thing. And then I just read somewhere that you are teaching at Jen Waldman Studio. Tell us a bit more about your work there and what you're doing there. And what what is Jen Waldman Studio and how is it different? For those of us that may not know, what what exactly is it about? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this because this is what I've, what's been eating up most of my time in this quarantine moment. Right now. Um, this is what you're doing right now, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I should say that when I first moved to New York, um, I knew I needed to be in a class and I knew that I wanted, that I didn't want just any class. <laughs> so um, I kept um, hearing 
from a lot of like the, my kindred spirits in the business. I kept people hearing talking. I kept having people talk to me about Jen Waldman. Never met her before. Um, but when I finally moved to New York, I, I found my way to her class. And she was essentially back then um, teaching uh, like a small, intimate studio class that kind of um, delved into musical theater acting process. Mm. Um, which was great. And not many people were really coming at musical theater performance from a process training point of view. There were a lot of like casting directors or industry professionals telling you how to make your audition better. She was actually trying to like cultivate the art, the artist, which I thought was really interesting. Yes. So I was a student of hers for many years um, and then evolved up into assisting her sometimes when she would direct projects. We worked on a production of La Mancha together. Um, and then over the past, I guess for five years now, I've been in a teaching at the studio in some capacity. Um, obviously before quarantine hit, we uh, she ran an in-person studio in Midtown, mm. um, which was quite successful. Again, like a really great community of artists coming together to like not only improve themselves but improve the industry as well which i thought was really great um so the big interesting part is once quarantine hit we had to find a way to pivot sure. um and when i would talk to jen about it you know the big thing she was trying to figure out was how to create some, how do we create something for the people who need us that wasn't just like putting our in-person classes online like doing the same thing, but with a in for a computer. Um, she knew that wasn't the trick. So um, the team got together, and we've now launched what we call JWS Online, hmm. and it started in April. Um, and the in-person classes in our studio are basically nine people for four hours a week, like really like one-on-one in-depth, you know, work. She's been able to take the spirit of that, scale it to a completely different um different container essentially hmm. um and now we provide you know micro learning purpose-driven training um digestible effective um little uh nuggets of instruction and people can sign up for like all the classes they want on a monthly basis so um wow. it's great we you know we've been doing that a lot this week uh, this these past three months and we have around like 200, like a little over 200 students every month, which is really exciting. Now, I can imagine now that you've gone online that you have a more global reach, so anyone can become a student from anywhere. They don't have to be in Manhattan, right? Right, that's right. It's funny, the first thing we did, which was the big aha moment for us all, when we um, had our first class of our first uh, month online, we had everyone chime in on the Zoom chat. All our classes are done on Zoom. Chime in on the Zoom chat with, okay, where are you coming in from? And we expected to see people, you know, from other states. But then we started seeing Canada, oh, Paris, yes. London, South America. Like, we have people from all over the globe. Well, you know, I think people are realizing this now with what's going on, that when you move online, it's global if you want it to be. And we have to think beyond just our own state and our own region and our own country because there is a huge world of global theater artists out there who are desperate to have a class from someone in New York. 
you know, because that, you know, like it or not, and I don't, you know, it for whatever reason, it's earned, right? New York is the center of theater for not just the United States. I think for most of the world, they think of New York as, as the center of something, you know, especially musical theater. So how, what, what are the classes? So there's some musical theater acting classes. Are there other types of classes? And if someone's interested, how do they join? Do they, is it a membership? Yeah. How do you, how does that work? Great question. Uh, for anyone that is, that's interested, you can visit the website. It's real easy. JenWaldman.com. Um, and then it'll take you anywhere you need to go within that. But it's Jen, J-E-N-W-A-L-D-M-A-N.com. Um, or you can hit me up and I can tell you more about it. Um, but essentially, um, we have like our core classes, which is uh, which are um, geared towards keeping artists creative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Providing challenges so like artists aren't stuck in their creative static bubbles but then from there we have a really wide variety of offerings based on what you're into we have um okay let me i'm trying to think of like the three most diverse offerings we have uh this month we have a shakespeare class wow. <laughs> taught uh, shakespeare hamlet edition taught by um a guy in london daniel stewart who we're getting from london to come zoom into class for us wow. um we have um a musical theater seminar class, which is um, deconstructs Fun Home. Which oh my is, God, um, that show! Yes, it needs okay. to be deconstructed. Um, yes. Yeah, oh. and then you know we have like puppetry classes, mask. Hmm. You can learn about viewpoints. Um, I'm teaching a class that takes like all your performance skills and hones it in for the online experience. So like camera based, uh, Zoom screen based um, calibration of your skills. Um, it's a lot of really varied stuff. Wow, that's fascinating. And I think that, you know, people are craving that kind of uh, engagement, that kind of teaching now with what's going on. And, you know, who knows, you know, once we do get back into seeing people and face to face, and and this starts to alleviate, I hope, soon, um, even when we're back to the face to face, I hope we don't lose that touch with the global, that touch with being a community that's bigger than just our own backyard. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. It's, It's you know, it's it's a, it's a challenging time for everybody, but I feel like one of the great positives that you mentioned, like there are so many barriers that used to exist between not just geographical separations of people, but like statuses of people. Yes. And it's those completely blown away, you know. You have mm-hmm. like Pulitzer Prize winning playwrights inviting people to like their Zoom room to just like write together for 20 minutes. It's, it's mind blowing. And it's a really essential, I think, in the arts cross pollination that should happen every five, 10 years, every year, every, because we get in our little groups and then we don't cross pollinate. And I think this, you know, I'm trying to think always of the positive and the positive around this is that I think exactly what you said is happening. The barriers are being broken down, not just by what we do, but who we are and, and where we are. So this is great. So jenwaldman.com or is it jenwaldmanstudio.com? Uh, jenwaldman.com. Jenwaldman.com. Yeah. And so people should go there and I assume you can sign up for a, a monthly membership, I guess, or a fee and you have access to certain types of courses. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And I have to say one more thing about it. Yes. The other thing that was really important for us um, as we were launching this offering in this moment was to keep it as cost effective as possible. Um, and, you know, where in, per- in the in person studio, one course, you know, one monthly class can run, you know, around 300, between three to $400, depending on what you're paying for. Sure. Um, 
for Jen Waldman Studio Online, you can sign up for unlimited classes for a month. And that could, this month, that's up to 13 classes a week for $200. Wow. Wow. So there's much more available to you at a much uh, easier price, especially now with people um, who, are, who are struggling. So that's yeah. great. So they can still do their learning. Oh my gosh, that's great. See, all these things to me, the global reach, the, the, the fact that it's, that it's more affordable and hopefully more available to, to actors and to people in the arts, it's great. And I, I'm fascinated by these classes you mentioned about, you know, if you're in a, uh, to how to uh, you know, break out of your shell if you're stuck in an artistic rut. Or I think that's fascinating. I don't know about a lot of people that offer that, or maybe I'm out of it, but I've never heard of a class like that and I love it. It feels great. It, you know, it all feels like a really exciting experiment, but one that's going quite well so far. So that's great. That well, and so you're teaching there. And um, I know that aside from all of this, aside from the acting, the directing, the, the, the choreography, the teaching, you also, and running the, uh, co-founding the Broadway Barcada, you also have a side business, don't you? That I call it a side <laughs> business, but you know, good for you. I, I, I've done some looking online and you have it, it's quite developed. You've been doing it for a while, I think, which is called Billy B Photography. Tell us about that business. Yeah, um, it's just funny to hear people like list all the hyphenates because it makes me just want to take a nap. <laughs> You're tired. You must be tired all the time. You don't sound tired, Billy. You sound fully energized. That's kind of tired. Yes. Um, like all joking aside, I'm really lucky because I love. Uh, once again, I, I'm really inspired by and drawn to a lot of different kinds of form, uh, different thing, parts of the industry, and I'm excited to be able to kind of stick my finger in lots of different pies. To me, that that makes a happy life. Um, Ubi photography came about because I was, you know, in college and had a decent camera, enjoyed taking pictures, and um, when I was in Philly, a, a, some classmates of mine came up to me and said, "Hey, I have an audition. I need a headshot. I hear you have a camera." So I was like, "Okay." So you, so you started with headshots. For your yes, fellow yeah. fellow performers um, and directors, yeah, it was uh, headshots are still primarily like the bulk of my photography business. Mm -hmm. I do like production photography and the occasional event, but um, uh, headshots are for me like my favorite thing to do because it it, it, allow, it allows me to uh, to interact and meet artists that I wouldn't necessarily get to meet on stage or in the rehearsal room, mm -hmm. um, and it lets me you know flex a different kind of my communicator. Uh, storyteller skill set sure. through the camera or like through collaborating with an actor behind the camera it's to me that's really inspiring um, but yeah it's kind of been like the other thing that I do <laughs> of course but does it inform I mean I find I have uh, a day job quote unquote or whatever another job that has nothing really yours has something to do with theater mine has nothing to do with theater but I find that the worlds do intersect and they do inform each other you do help one helps the other, for me at least. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because as I, you know, came of age as an artist, like those first five or six years in New York City, like my photography business was just starting to grow. I was developing a, reput a reputation for a perform as a performer in the city. Um, and it's funny, there was a part of me that thought that I had to keep those things separate, that I needed to, that if I... That if I acknowledge that if the actor acknowledged that I was also a photographer, I became less of an actor somehow. Yes. Um, and one thing I've learned, and the, that lesson has been really reinforced over the past few months, is that the more I brought them to, and the more the better each 
other thing was. Like I, I agree, mm. I completely agree with you, Stefan. Like everything feeds the other things. Yes. Um, and it's funny. It's it's another thing. I keep, I hate to like draw it all back to the studio, but it's where my mind is at now. No, of it's course. the other big, big lesson that we're trying to teach at the studio. You know that all of the the skills that we as theater performers, theater artists have, like the essential skills, I'm not talking about doing a double pirouette or singing a high C or learning your lines. I'm talking about storytelling, communication, Mm -hmm. empathy, how you connect with people. Leadership, leadership. Leadership, collaboration. Like Mm -hmm. those are all skills that are transferable to any industry. And, you know, I feel like it's important for all of us to know that because of coronavirus, because of this moment, we are we might see a lot of people need to leave the industry. And I think that's okay. You know, I feel like there are a lot of people that will be able to find, if they can take what, what they love about performing um, and find another way to share those gifts, I think that's an amazing thing. So that's but another you, thing we're trying to do at JWS, you know, not tell you whether or not to leave the industry, mm-hmm. but should you decide that's right for you, we want to remind you and show you how your gifts are not limited to singing a song on the stage. And you know, this is this what I like to call the hustle, which is that you do have to balance yeah. a lot of different plates. The ability to do that is something that I found, um, I don't know, in this country, people are, are now, you know, getting keyed into it, right? With the gig economy that was happening prior, prior to, to coronavirus. But also what you're talking about, which is in order to survive... Um, difficult moments. You have to be flexible. You have to look at the range of things that you do as a person. So, you know, your your photography as well as your teaching as well as your performing and directing and choreographing, it's not so much that you have to do all those things all the time. It's that they come up. They're, you're open to the opportunity and you're being flexible. And I think as artists, I think that's what's going to come out of this is that a lot of our theater people become sort of specialized or specialists. You know, this is what I do. I get on stage and I sing a song and I do some dance and then I leave. Um, But I think people are broadening and expanding what it is that they do, you know, with their projects. And that's going to fascinating to me because I, I think it brings the different aspects. Like you said, one informs the other. And I, I think people need to that hustle. I call it a hustle because it's part of it is survival. But you know, I teach it at George at George Mason University also. And while I'm teaching, I'm constantly trying to impart that to the students. But I, I'm not sure if it's and some of them get it immediately. But others, I think it's a development. It's something that you have to get past in your twenties when you realize, oh, drat, I have to pay my own bills now. I have to survive. So <laughs> while I don't get that dream acting job that I want, maybe I need to write my own material and become a writer. Or maybe I need to be a producer or a choreographer to get on the other side of the table. Or, you know, or go work at Amazon or something. You never know, I mean, what what's going to inform your work, right? Yeah, totally. That's so such, what, I mean, what other projects were you working on that were put on hold perhaps because of COVID-19 or what are some of the things that you are either like with Jen Waldman, you're, you, this is something that you guys rethought how to do it online. Are there other projects that are theatrical that you were doing that with, or that you hope to get back to when this is, you know, in the rear view? Yeah. Um, short answer is yes. Um, not all, um, have been as, uh, fortunate as far as, uh, as Jen Waldman studio has, but, sure. um, it's funny, this, Oh, you know, as you know, like I perform and I direct, and I do a lot of things at the same time. And it's funny, this coming year, 
like had the had coronavirus not happened, this would have been the first year I was able to I would have been able to ex- completely devote myself to being behind the table. Um, I just finished doing a show at the public last year, um, which had kind of been an investment of time over the past couple of years. So like there was always something perf- on the performer side keeping me busy yeah. and I would direct when I could. But now uh, this was the first time I kind of had director or choreographer work lined up for a year, oh. um, which really exciting to me. Um, and then all of those were canceled. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I have to say I empathize. I, had, I hadn't choreographed a professional show in the area in a while. I'd sort of taken a hiatus because I moved into choreography. And this year I had five different professional gigs lined up between January and um, May. And they all got canceled. So I, oh, I hear you. Well, it's rough. Yeah, but, you know it's funny. It really it it forces it really forces you to like realize what kind of a person you are. Like you're an optimist or you're a pessimist or right. you're, you know whatever you want to call yourself. Like the person who you are really kind of like comes out in these moments. Sure. Um, and it's funny. There was a the the. the the first show I was supposed to choreograph and associate direct was actually my dream show, which I've never gotten to do, but it's been my favorite show ever since I can remember. Um, it's Once on This Island, and there was a, a production in Philly at one of my favorite theaters in Philly, and I was um, supposed to choreograph that in the spring. Actually, oh. like, we would have just opened. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, and it, it was crazy, you know, like, once again, that, that was coming up, and they had to make the decision quite early whether or not to pull the production. So thank good, thankfully they, just, they decided to pull it mm-hmm. um, as many theaters did and decided, you know, went forth to cancel the rest of their seasons. And that was the first of like several uh, shows that, you know, either got canceled or pushed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I really had to think for myself, you know, that show was so important to me and I knew um, when I would get to do it in whatever capacity, it would be a really important moment in my life and my career mm-hmm. so to know that it was presented to me and then taken away <laughs> almost made me feel like it was it was meant to not happen <laughs> right because it's supposed to something else is supposed to happen or in a different time or space yeah exactly but so, so this was in philadelphia so once on this island was in philadelphia right yeah okay and were you had you cast it or had you been part of a casting process or had that not happened yeah. Oh, it was wow. so crazy and this it really shows you like how quickly everything went down yes. we were um i guess in march yeah mid-march like second week of march i was running between classes at the jen waldman studio in person running to ripley greer and doing callbacks for once on this island mm-hmm. and we were like making final casting offers like putting the finishing touches on the on the group i would run down to philly do local casting and then literally like two days after our final day of New York casting, we decided to pull it. Um, it, it everything happened so that quickly. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I hear you and I share your frustration, but I think you're being as positive as you can. And you're right. You know, some of it is destiny and there's a reason why things happen the way they do. And then, you know, a year from now, we might all be looking back at this and going, Okay, it all worked out. You know, maybe the timing had to be different so that you could do it in a different space or headspace as well as, you know, who knows what you're going to bring to it if you do it again, um, you know, next year. You know, who knows what uh, further life experiences you'll, you'll bring to that production and how your choreography will probably change, right, um, based on, on the experiences you've had the last year. So 
That's one way to look at it. And then, you know, Leah Salonga can come and play, you know. <laughs> I saw her in that production on Broadway, the the, the recent one on Broadway, and uh, she broke my heart. She's so good. Um, but, yes, so, I mean, I think it would have been great to see what you could have done with it and, and, and where you would have taken it. But I think it's it's in there for you in the future. I think it's in the cards. It just might not be right now. <laughs> so what are uh, so are there you mentioned about developing new works and I know you're passionate about developing new works as well so and you're starting to step into this role of being on the other side of the table as a director choreographer and um, when you talk about developing new works how do you do that uh, I, I know very little about doing that myself so what what does that entail does do you direct the piece and then you work with a writer to develop it in workshop how do you and what are some is, give us an example of maybe one work that you were uh maybe developing for this year yeah um great question i do feel for me in terms of how where i come into a project and how i meet a project it um varies project to project you know there have been definitely times where a, a new writer has written something and I have come on board as a director to help uh, shepherd and physical life, you know, stage the first version of it. Um, there are times where I've been more on the ground floor of like conceiving something with a writer um, and like shepherding a show like really from its embryonic stages. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it all sounds, it's all quite in, like interesting to me. I'm, I love the idea of helping a new story see the light of day. Um, with that said, you know, I'm, I am not a writer. <laughs> so um, that's like one of the gifts I know I do not have. <laughs> so, but wait, but um, when you talk about not being a writer, you mean words, because you probably are good at developing storyline and plot through movement and dance if you're choreographing, right? So is that the part you play, sort of putting things, the pieces on the chessboard and moving them? Yeah, yeah exactly. I think that's a really great way to, to, to put it. You know, there are definitely pieces where um, I'm working with a writer and I can definitely help steer the overarching plot or like where characters need to be developed. I feel like that's where I can be really useful mm-hmm. um, when it, when it comes to like, right. Creating those lyrics or creating that dialogue. I know that's, that's someone else's gift. Sure. But, but that's the joy. <laughs> right. And that's the joy of collaboration though, because if the person, exactly. the person exactly. is doing that writing also doesn't want to get up there and start teaching movement or dance, uh, doing right. a, a, a choreography piece either. So, so that's you need each other, and who yeah. do you have favorite collaborators, or do you have people that you are developing work with? Um, are that that and you know what? This is something that's been always part of your your career. Or is it something that you recently have started to do more of the new work, explore? Yeah, really interesting, really good question. I you know ever since college, I've always been drawn to new writers. Obviously, when I was in college, new writers are no longer new now, those writers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always been drawn to those, you know, to people on the forefront of the, of the industry. Um, so I can tell you like some of my favorite writers. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I really am excited for what Shayna Taub does. Mm-hmm. She's um, one of the lyricists behind Devil Wears Prada. Um, yes. And she's done a lot of really other interesting things. Um, Dave Malloy, I think is really exciting. Um, there's a lot for anyone that wants to kind of take a deep dive into some new musical theater writing um, talent. Yes. I would say check out, it's called the Musical Theater Factory. Um, musicaltheaterfactory.org, I think. I'm almost positive. Well, if we Google, if you Google Musical Theater Factory, you'll find it, right? Yeah, yeah oh. perfect. Okay. Yeah, they're great, they're great organizations. 
organization really shepherding and cultivating the next generation of theater writers, which I think is really exciting. Wow. Well, Billy, you know, there's so much to talk about with you. We could do a part two. We could spend, you know, a long time talking, but we're almost at the out of time. But I just wanted to say that I'm really happy to see how um, you've developed and grown over time since I, since, and, you know, since we were both a lot, <laughs> we were both kids. Um, but um, it's so great to see you um, delve into so many different areas of theater. And I'm going to be looking forward to seeing what you come up with as a director, as a choreographer, uh, and as, you know, a new working on new works with with other people and with writers to come up because that's precisely what we need. We need new works and from new voices and from people that have experience, but that have something new to say. And I think when I think of, of people doing that, I think of you. So thank you so much for spending some time with us at American Theatre Artists Online. And I really, really appreciate it. And I hope that you stay safe where you are. Thanks, Stefan. This was such a blast. It's, it's been it's been way too long since we were dancing on that rake at the Only Theater. Oh, my back! My back hurts so much. The trip, the triple pirouettes right in front of the pit, the band. <laughs> you nailed them. I was terrified every night. But listen, thank you, Billy, so much, and I appreciate it. And and stay in touch. And if people want to reach out to you on social media, if they want to, do you do? I don't know how involved you are with that, but do you have a Instagram or a Facebook page you prefer people follow or if they want to know more about your work and what you're you're doing or a website? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Insta is definitely the, the most immediate form of social media connection for me. So if you want to follow me at Billy B, B-I-L-L-Y, the letter B, mm-hmm. creative. Okay. So Billy B creative. Um, that's my Insta handle. Or you can find me on my website, BillyBustamante.com. Great. Billy, thank you so much for this time and you have a great rest of your weekend and um, I hope to to see you soon up there doing your thing. Oh, thanks, man. You too. (laughs) Take care. Take care.